This morning, we're starting to turn an historic page in the life of our church. Um, you know that moment when you're on the airplane taxiing on the runway, and uh, for especially little kids, there's a buzz of anticipation, but there's not much going on because you're in a long line for a while until you realize you're next, and the plane makes the sharp turn to line up with the runway, and the engines roar, and you're off. We're making that turn right now here at GRC. Or uh, picture yourself on a long road trip. You have been on I-95 for what feels like days, and whoever's driving cancels the cruise control, taps the brakes, because you're finally going to exit And everyone in the car perks up and starts to notice the details of the town that is coming to life because this is where you're going to spend the next week on vacation or visiting family. We're taking that exit as a church at long last. Exactly four weeks from today, we will worship just like we have been for years right here where you're sitting, and then we will say goodbye to Teaneck after almost 19 years. And then, Lord willing, the following Sunday, March 18th, we will gather, some of you might forget and show up here, <laughs> and you'll quickly realize it, we'll gather in Glenrock on a Sunday morning to worship together for the first time. This stretch is a head-spinning, adrenaline-rushing period that is definitely the biggest transition Grace Redeemer Church has ever experienced, and I'm going to guess may very well be the biggest transition any of us will ever experience in our church lives anywhere. Some of you may have some stories, but it's not so much about square footage and new features that we're going to love as it is about ministry opportunity and stewardship of this moment As Jesus told his disciples, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. That has to govern our stewardship, our handling, our wise management of this time that is before us. So aside from packing and moving and cleaning and setting up, how do we properly prepare for this move? How do we steward this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? How do we stay grounded? How do we ensure that we don't lose sight of first things, things of first importance, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15? I'll use two words to answer those questions. We remember. We remember. There's a scene from Salvation History that I'd like us to walk through to set the stage. Before I read it, uh, here's the context. The the year is somewhere between 1220 and 1400 BC. Historians are not sure. It's either one or the other, actually, not not so much in between. The Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Having been redeemed out of slavery in Egypt, they're in the desert. And worship in the desert has focused on the portable tent structure that's called the tabernacle. And descendants of the tribe of Levi 
depending on the clan and the family, have been given very specific jobs. This clan is to carry the poles. That's it. That's their job. Professional ministers, their job is to carry poles. And another clan, their job is to carry the curtains made out of animal skins, hides. And another clan, the holy furniture, the utensils, the lampstand, um, and very special jobs are given to the few who are actually tasked with carrying the Ark of the Covenant uh, containing the Ten Commandments. Worship in the wilderness was focused on this portable tent structure called the tabernacle. So when God said, stop here in camp, they stopped, unpacked, set up, and worshiped. And when God said, move out, they broke down and they packed up, and they were never able to settle down and call a place home, which was okay because they knew they were heading somewhere. They knew they weren't home. And by the way, for some of you old-timers who remember our days at, on the campus of Fairleigh Dickinson University, uh, you will never forget what it is like to set up and break down. And instead of donkeys, we had an empty white van Uh, that we packed with rugs and plastic bins and sound equipment every single Sunday morning. For 10 years in this leased space, we have dreamed and prayed and hoped the Lord would bring us to a permanent place that we could call home. And the time is now. At At the end of the book of Numbers, the people of God are finally ready, finally allowed to enter the promised land of Canaan. They're almost home, but there's one more book of the Bible, one more long sermon before they enter the land. There's always one more long sermon, right? There's always one more thing the pastor has to say. In this case, Moses is God's spokesman. And what he has to say is actually nothing new. It's repetition. And the book is called Deuteronomy. Literally, Deuteronomos, second law. It's not a different law. It's not a new law. It's the same teaching that God had delivered through Moses to the Israelites back at Mount Sinai. It's the same law that they had been learning through their wilderness wanderings as Moses and Aaron and the priests and the Levites had learned how to relate to this one true God in His holiness. It's just repeated for emphasis. You need to hear this, people of God, one more time before you come into your inheritance. They needed to be reminded of who they were, of why they were here, and when, and who was in charge, and how to receive this gift. And we're going to peek at one scene from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Listen carefully. These are God's words. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Verse 5, see, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. 
What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, help us to remember. Thank you for the preserved record of Scripture that lets us peek over the shoulders of the Israelites to be a fly on the wall, to understand the context and to hear your word repeated through Moses. Speak, O Lord, again, for your servants are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 4 is describing that moment just before you get the keys to the car for the first time. Just before you get dropped off at college as a first-year student for orientation. Just before you unlock the door to the home you just purchased, your very first home ownership experience. There's a, a weightiness to that moment that requires thoughtful reflection, not just whooping and reveling and rushing headlong in. There's a, a, a gravity of that moment that has such significance that you probably won't even appreciate the depth of it for years to come. In Israel's such moment, Moses, speaking for God, basically says this, keep the commands of the Lord. Observe everything that God has told me because these are the words of life. As you display this God-given spiritual wisdom, the nations are going to see how holy and wise and powerful is this one true God whom you worship. Don't forget what God has done. Remember what you've seen, what you've learned, and pass it on to your children. There's nothing new here. These are just critical reminders of what the people of God have already heard. Moving into 21 Harristown Road is a momentous occasion that requires more than whooping in triumph that God has done this, that the moment is finally here and a headlong rush for the front door. We will celebrate. We will give thanks. We will marvel at what God has done But it's a momentous enough occasion that we need to follow the example of Deuteronomy chapter 4 to remember who we are. There are all kinds of ways we could do that. Uh, I'd like to use our church's core values as an outline. It starts with foundational elements that should describe every biblical church, and then it includes some distinctive emphases that um, are not necessarily unique, but are the unique ways that God has shaped us to be a church 
for Jesus Christ here in northern New Jersey. Uh, what we look like from the outside will change. But if these biblically rooted core values are the backbone of who we are, we will bring our identity and our right worship of God to wherever we call home in the future. This will not be the most intriguing series of the year. Just like Deuteronomy wasn't the most um, amazing sermon Moses ever preached because the people had heard it already. They were being reminded, but I think it may be one of the more important ones of 2018 to remind us of who we are. Uh, Five core values. Note that this is not a three-point sermon, okay? Uh, Every now and then we get this. Um, First, gospel centrality. What is the gospel? First, listen to the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, um, starting in verse 10. That's what Peter says. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Just pause there. It's amazing stuff. The Concerning this salvation, the, the point of it all, the prophets of long ago searched intently, probably on their knees in prayer, uh, submitting themselves to the Spirit. They, they wanted to figure out with great effort the time and the circumstances of what? The Messiah's suffering. That's the focal point of all of history. The prophets were trying to figure this out. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, the church, in the time, Peter's writing, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. <laughs> Amazing. Angels sitting in the front row of heaven, peering down marveling at, I would never have believed this is what God's salvation plan was going to look like. Amazing. Here's here's the nugget that I'm aiming at. The gospel is literally good news proclaimed, announced that God's people have been rescued from sin, which our sins deserve, and into a restored right relationship with God Himself, all accomplished through the sufferings of the Messiah. And then the glories to come, and I think that may be an allusion to the resurrection, because salvation didn't end at the cross. It continued through Easter in triumphant victory. That's the good news. Cross, empty tomb, and the implication it has for your lives good news. Why do we need rescuing? Because of the reality of our sin. We talk regularly and openly about sin here at Grace Redeemer Church. We don't find it to be a politically incorrect term. We don't care if it's a politically incorrect term. It's a biblical reality, and if we ignored it, it would be like dying of cancer and refusing to use the C word. It's not okay in your household. And it would simply be a denial of your mortal enemy that needs to be fought in the light, head-on, 
calling it what it actually is. Sin is out to destroy you. Call it out. Name it for what it is and find that the only antidote that heals is available to you through through faith in Jesus. That is the good news, the gospel. Rescue is possible. And um, in each of our three recent grace stories, through, uh, starting in January into uh, the first Sunday in February, we heard from each of these three members of the church clear confession of sin. We heard stories of a keen awareness on their part of walking in darkness until God's grace intervened to rescue, to shine the light of Christ only because of the gospel the good news, can anyone freely and publicly admit their deepest flaws and not be mortified because God knows it all and has declared that person in Christ to be free and righteous because of the perfect work of Jesus. That good news enables us to live out this gospel But this isn't just a truth that's relevant to conversion. And then we move on. The the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is everything. The gospel impacts you at every stage of your spiritual maturity. Every kind of brokenness, every brand of insecurity, every example of relational dysfunction is a result of sin and the only antidote that can heal and make whole is the salvation that is offered through faith in Jesus Christ. Good news. There's a solution. GRC is a gospel-centered church, not because we just put that label upon ourselves, but because we know and we endeavor to live out this reality, this awareness that all of history reaches its climax in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus the Savior. There is no other son around which a biblical church must orbit other than the gospel. So how do we ensure that GRC remains rooted in this gospel? The next core value, number two, biblical truth, is at the heart of what Paul tells Timothy. As a young man, as a young elder, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. We say under this second core value that GRC longs to be a place where People on every part of the spiritual journey, from those skeptical of the existence of God to those who are committed followers of Christ, we receive Scripture, quote, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. In C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, he's, early on in the book, he's describing his former wrestling as an atheist with um, spiritual eternal realities, especially the claims of Christianity. And, And this is what he writes. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked until, unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? Without a reference point, we would argue endlessly on any number of topics, and none of us would be right. Every one of us would have a, an equal claim to being accurate, being truthful. One of the most revealing statements I, I ever heard in a, a spiritual conversation with a non-Christian was this statement 
that she, um, she spoke to me. Well, well, I like to think of God as, and I won't even f- complete the sentence because it didn't matter. Well, I like to think of God as, and that's per, that statement on her part was perfectly, is perfectly consistent with a secular worldview, which then insists that you cannot judge how anyone chooses to finish that sentence. So if someone says, well, I like to think of God as a purple orchid, according to the secular worldview, you, if you're tolerant, you can't say anything other than, oh, that's very nice. Because it's just as true as your conception of God. If someone else says, well, I like to think of God as a long icicle, tolerance demands that you accept that as just as valid as the way you would choose to end that sentence. But if there is a standard of what a straight line is, spiritually speaking, we not only have the right to declare something true and something else false, we must declare it true. And we must declare that false because otherwise we create our own reality of who God in His being, in His substance, in His behavior actually is. It's a figment of our imagination. It doesn't exist. That's where the, the canon of Scripture comes into play. Have you ever heard that phrase? It, it, it typically describes what books of the Bible are we, uh, do we consider to be the inspired, divinely revealed Word of God. The canon, the word canon, simply comes from the Greek word that means ruler or measuring stick. Rule or measuring stick. So, What's right and what's wrong? What's true and what's false? The Bible alone as divine revelation is our measuring stick. It is our reference point. Biblical truth has to be a core value because without it, this just becomes a nice club with common interests until our difference of opinion makes it a club with differing interests. And that has happened to so many churches across the decades, across the centuries. May God, through His Spirit, never allow that to happen as we stand upon this core value of biblical truth. A third core value is authentic community. We also say that we long to be a real community for real people with real stresses and life challenges. We want to grow by doing life together. Community, we say, is about knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served. That's the one anothering that we find all throughout the New Testament. Can I just share a pastoral encouragement here? I know that a handful of you are worried that the relational community dynamics here at GRC are going to drastically change when we move to Glen Rock. We walk into a bigger sanctuary where there's all kinds of space for people to hide. And, and I get that. Change is difficult. Um, it, everything is going to feel out of sorts to us, especially if you're a, a longtime attendee uh, member here at Grace Redeemer Church. But can I just encourage you with this uh, perspective? The most important factor that affects what community looks like for you as an individual, the most important factors are in your hands, your initiative, 
you're signing up for a dinner eight that we had last night and when we uh, built new friendships with a handful of people. Your uh, willingness to volunteer and to serve, which immediately introduces you into a, a small circle of people. Your commitment to a growth group. Join a, a, the men's Bible study here uh, 8 o'clock on Thursday nights. Uh, Cedar goes to the Monday night women's Bible study with a handful of you. Uh, others of you go to the Tuesday morning. It's the same study. Come to CR every, every Wednesday at 7 o'clock. They feed you free food. Um, it, so much of what community can look like is in your hands, not affected by the fact that our sanctuary will seat 33% more people. Think of that as an opportunity for, for those seats to be filled with people who otherwise wouldn't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your community, is so much of it is in your hands. Uh, as for authenticity, I would say our grace stories, um, these three-week miniseries we have been doing twice a year for the last six years, they set the pace. They, they, they um, create this high bar for us to um, aim at, whether that takes us years or, or whether you're ready within months, and you can follow in those footsteps informally, privately, by being real, by setting aside that church facade, that expectation of what I'm supposed to look like and how I'm supposed to behave on Sunday mornings, and, and you can just um, relate in authentic ways to your fellow churchgoer uh, instead of walking through life fake. Fourth core value, mission and mercy. We believe the identity of Christ's church is shaped by a missional calling. It's not something that we come up with. The Apostle Peter says of the church, you are a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. This is the Apostle divinely speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying this is who you are, church, so that you can declare the praises of God so that you can evangelize and go on mission. This outward orientation involves a come-and-see approach. We want to welcome seekers and skeptics and show them that Jesus satisfies their heart's deepest longings. In a couple of weeks, we'll focus on the role each of us uh, can play, needs to play in inviting and bringing people so that they can see the light of Christ in a very dark world. Mission also involves a go-and-tell motivation to proclaim Christ outside the church. Yes, that means to the ends of the earth. Yes, that involves uh, missions teams and partnerships with overseas missionaries. But so much of mission, it needs to be more present, more um, uh, closer to our lives. And one of the things that we are already thinking about is the new local mission field right across the Passaic River in Patterson and surrounding communities. We're already looking for new ways to display the compassion of Jesus in meeting the needs of the poor and the sick and the oppressed. And if we remember this is who we are by God's design, not because we've figured this out, not because we've slapped a label on ourselves, if we remember this is who we are, then the building becomes a key tool in helping us reach the least and the lost. Last core value, these are the five our church leadership has uh, focused on over the years. 
ethnic diversity. You might not think this would qualify as a top five core value, but we believe God has gathered a unique collection of of sinners redeemed by Jesus that is able to reach people, quote, from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's from Revelation chapter 5, a picture of glory as all of the redeemed are gathered around the throne with Jesus the Lamb looking as if He had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Um, Isn't that in, in some sense already true of our region that people from every tribe and language and, and nation are gathered here in the metro New York area. Let's go reach them. We, we don't say ethnic diversity is a core value because it's politically correct, because we think it's a cool thing. We, we say that and we value it because it provides a picture of heaven ahead of time and there's this missional component. We want you to be able to invite your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your cousin, wherever they're from, whatever they look like, and have them come and see at least a few people, if not many more, who look like them, who sound like them. We want the world to look at this fascinating mix of people which they don't typically see in any other segment of, of, of life. Um, and wonder what brings these people together in unity and then realize whether we tell them or they just figured out because they're listening in, it's not because we share a mother tongue or a national heritage or skin color. It is because we have been reconciled first to the Father through the blood of the Son and that enables us to taste and experience this radical reconciliation amongst one another when our differences would otherwise cause separation. It brings us back to the gospel. Why are you people all here? Why do you love each other so much? Why, why, why does your, your, your dinner table at dinner eight or your stage or your Bible study look like no other group that I see when I live my life? And the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what does it. GRC, remember This is who we are because God has declared us to be so. This is how God has uniquely prepared us to declare his praises, and we will do that because it's who we are, whether we're here in Teaneck for the next three weeks or whether he moves us to Glen Rock or somewhere else to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we don't exist for our own purposes, our own comfort and pleasure. We exist to exalt you. And in so doing, we are made complete. We are brought into pure joy. Lord, sharpen our faith as we believe that and live it out and prepare us, Lord, not just with boxes and bookshelves and desks, but prepare us internally by your Spirit to carry who we are, to know it, to remember it, and to carry it wherever you would have us go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.